Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 150 of the jimmystable.com podcast, and I'm going to talk about beyond evangelical purity culture. I became a Christian as a teenager in the late 1990s, which is so long ago, <laughs> which just so happened to also be the height of what is known as purity culture in the evangelical church. I still remember when my older brother, who's a pastor of a church, sent me Josh Harris's I Kissed Dating Goodbye book. Being a recent convert to Christianity, I initially kind of chuckled at the idea of the book, and just the title alone sounded hysterical, and I largely ignored it. The title was just <laughs> just most the dumbest thing I had ever heard of. Um, but I kept the book, and uh, as I got a little bit older and started becoming more serious about dating and and growing in my faith, I decided to pick up the book and give it a shot to see what God had to say about faith, dating, romance, love, and sex. And while I never fully embraced the teachings of this book, some of it I just found to be, you know, unreasonable and extreme. However, I did embrace the general thrust of the book. I decided I wanted to, in the spirit of the book, honor the Lord and, and honor the women in my dating life and to practice abstinence and not to play games with women's hearts and to mostly be intentional about my interactions with the opposite sex. But I did do things like go on dates with girls, hold hands, kiss, and otherwise ignore some of the other prescribed teachings of the book. For those of you who never read the book and aren't familiar with it, Josh Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye was a response to the 1960s sexual revolution, which had upended traditional Christian teaching regarding sex and marriage in our culture. All of a sudden, there were no more rules or guardrails in our popular culture regarding dating and sex, and all those guardrails were essentially thrown off the side of a mountain. Shortly thereafter, the influence of popular culture started gaining a foothold in the church, and the church was looking for a response. Josh Harris's book sought to be a systematic guide in response to the trend in our culture and attempted to put some guardrails back in place. Harris taught that a commitment to sexual abstinence wasn't enough. Instead, for all the commitment Christians might make to sexual abstinence, Far too many in the church were still falling into temptation. The blame for all the moral failings was ultimately placed upon modern dating practices, which involved too many landmines for hormone-filled teenagers to safely navigate. As a result, many were seen being at risk of throwing their sexual, quote-unquote, purity away, which was not only bad for their walk with Jesus, of course, but was also seen as robbing their future spouse of the gift of their sexual purity. 
In response to these issues, individuals like Josh Harris said that we must shun dating altogether, and he put up new guardrails in order to safeguard one's sexual purity. Harris taught that young men and women should only be permitted to be friends with the opposite sex, and a strong and if a stronger mutual interest developed and they wanted to be more than quote-unquote friends, with permission from the daughter's father, a young man would be allowed to court his daughter. But of course, only under the strict supervision of the parents, with minimal time for them to be allowed to be alone together, lest they give in to temptation. Physical affection of any sort was strictly off-limits. And the goal was to completely protect the sexual purity of all involved, especially that of young women. And it followed perfectly that the, if, if you followed this prescription in this program and, and Josh Harris's teachings perfectly, the first time a young man and woman would ever kiss anyone would be at the altar on their wedding day. And if this wasn't extreme enough of an idea for you, <laughs> there are still yet more extreme practices that developed. Um, they weren't prescribed by Josh Harris's book. However, in some circles, they, these sort of practices kind of developed as the outgrowth of evangelical purity culture. In some circles, it was semi-popular to take, uh, you know, so-called purity pledges as teenagers, in which one pledged their sexual purity to Jesus in front of the rest of the church, or at least <laughs> the rest of the youth group. And, and you were seeing this bold uh, a bold follower of Jesus if you would just, you know, pledge your sexuality to him in front of everybody. And then there would be others who would sometimes wear so-called purity rings, which were essentially a wedding band for Jesus just to show the rest of the world, hey, I'm taken. My body is off limits. You can't do anything with it because it belongs to the Lord and I'm married to Jesus. And then there were the super creepy circles in which there would be so-called, I kid you not, I can't believe this term actually exists, they were called purity balls. I'm just going to leave that one alone. <laughs> um, but at these purity balls, fathers pledged to safeguard their daughter's virginity for their husbands. That's, uh, that's definitely pretty creepy in my, in my book. Um, and while some of these Practices were seen as particularly cringe, even within evangelical circles at the time. Um, as cringeworthy as some of these practices might have been, they gained a foothold. And they had a following. And they had a general acceptance in the broader evangelical culture, even if they weren't practiced or recognized by everyone. For we realized ultimately and we tolerated these things and accepted these things because we saw it as a good combat to our culture, which had radically shifted its mores. And that culture was impacting ultimately the church. And we largely agreed that some guardrails were definitely needed in order to protect the sexual purity of young men and women everywhere. Something more was needed than simply choosing to practice abstinence for Jesus. Personally speaking, most people I knew in the church took the book uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye with a huge pinch of salt, yours truly included in that. 
At the most extreme, I did know some parents who refused to let their teenagers date, which, you know, when you think about it, isn't always a terrible idea considering, you know, how futile dating can be. But, so I understand people who, uh, you know, refuse to allow their teenagers to date while they're in high school for, you know, some obvious reasons. Um, most importantly of all, the distraction it actually provides uh, to them doing their schoolwork and getting into a, a good college and things like that. So who has time for heartbreak when you have AP calculus to do, right? <laughs> um, but aside from that, I, I don't look at that idea as something having to do so much with, personally speaking, sexual purity um, as maybe why parents may want to cause their teenagers to uh, not date while they're in high school. Um, but, you know, I do did know some parents who refused to let their teenagers date simply because they didn't want them to risk their sexual purity. Um, and I did know some friends in college and some individuals in my 20s who would only, quote-unquote, be friends with the opposite sex. Um, and I personally never knew or was involved with any churches that prescribed the teachings of Josh Harris outright. And while I had heard of some more of the cringeworthy practices, I personally didn't know of any church that practiced such rituals. And sometimes I think when we have these discussions about purity culture today in 2022, we have this idea that such extreme practices were much more prevalent um, than they in fact were. And I'm not going to say that it didn't exist. It most certainly existed. It existed enough for me to hear about it. And this was like pre-internet days or just at the beginning of the time, the internet coming around. But I had heard of such things without the internet. However, um, I still would contend, and I don't have any data to back this up, and I don't know that anybody actually does, but I would personally contend that the more extreme rituals that you saw in purity culture were, were just that, extreme. And only um, some small number of churches practiced it. Um, and I say this as a guy who went to very conservative Baptist and Pentecostal churches, and I went to Bible college and seminary, and I had quite a few connections. I've known uh, a lot of people who were deeply committed Christians um, trying to follow Jesus and people who are pastors of churches, and I really didn't know very many people who, who espoused or promoted these teachings within the church. Um, that's not to say, again, that it didn't exist, um, and that it didn't exist in some form. I would definitely say, you, like I said, a, a pinch of salt was being taken, a heavy pinch of salt was being taken with uh, the, the actual prescribed practices of individuals like Josh Harris and what you saw in purity culture. Um, but uh, by and large, anything that was practiced in that book was done so, I think, rather loosely. And I did occasionally run elbows with people who literally walked out the teachings of that book. But again, I contend such was very rare. Overall, I will say even to this day, I think there are some very good and well-intentioned ideas presented by individuals like Josh Harris and his book, and um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and Purity Culture as a whole. 
And like I said, I personally followed some of these teachings and bought into some of the ideas, some of which I still would contend aren't entirely half bad to this day. However, with that said, I think the book and the purity culture that surrounded it severely, severely, severely missed the mark. Purity culture and its quest to protect the sacred mystery of the gift of sexual intimacy ultimately destroyed that mystery with the only thing capable of destroying mystery, a precise formula wrapped in certainty. And there's nothing more that we love in evangelical circles than precise formulas to things that are supposed to require faith. It was the idea at the time that if only you do things exactly right before marriage, exactly as we tell you, then sex and marriage will be everything that you could ever hope for. Sex will be this amazing gift that you can not only experience, but a special present that you can give your spouse on your wedding day. Unfortunately, though, in reality, that's not how relationships work. <laughs> and whether or not one is 100% kosher in all their premarital romantic practices or lack thereof, even the greatest of relationships and marriages take work and communication. Great sex isn't an automatic thing. And there's no pot full of gold at the end of the rainbow just because you follow some specialized courtship rituals prescribed by individuals like Josh Harris. The gold behind these books and the purity culture movement, I believe, was in some sense a very honorable thing. It was an attempt to fight back against the sex-saturated culture we found ourselves in since the sexual revolution of the 1960s, in which everyone just seemed okay with having sex whenever they wanted, with whomever they wanted, and without apology. It was a culture that we lived in that was a sex-saturated culture, a, a culture saturated in a secular humanism that ultimately taught that human beings are fundamentally nothing more than glandular animals that need to exercise those glandular functions of their body, and that it's okay if our sexual practices ultimately mimic that of the animal kingdom. And there's still a lot of that that kind of... Uh, pervades the sexual ethos of today. In fact, I recall a song growing up. It was a hysterical, but profane, but hysterical um, uh, song. And it was kind of a, uh, I don't even know the genre. I guess it was a rap song. Um, I, I wasn't necessarily one of the cool kids growing up. I, I was homeschooled briefly after, uh, for one point. Um, uh, but the, this, there's a song, this rap song out there is a, a funny, cheeky sort of thing. Uh, but it, it went, it had a, it had a, uh, rhyme or a lyric that went, you and me, baby ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the discovery channel. And it repeated that like a thousand times and added some other lyrics. And then I'm not going to link to it in the show notes. Cause I do remember it being a pretty crass video and song. Uh, but, you know, Google is your friend if you want to do some scientific research into pop culture from the, the late 90s and early 2000s. However, I think this song, the You and Me Baby Ain't Nothing But Mammals, So Let's Do It Like They Do on the Discovery Channel, um, sort of really embodied the ethos of the time and continues to reflect 
the prevailing cultural attitude today that we have towards sex. So is it really any shock with such things prevailing in our culture that the evangelical church felt the need to develop a more extensive teaching that went beyond simply don't have sex until you are married? Like, I, I, think, I think we like to sit there and bash our puritanical sort of forefathers in the faith uh, and their sort of prudish and backward practices, but I don't think we've seriously taken inventory of exactly what they were looking to do and what the threat they perceived as existing in the culture. And as for all the, the, the junk we might be able to throw on them for the prescriptions of the things they came up with and the formulas they derived for creating sexual purity and some of the teachings that, they, that prevailed for the time, you know, I still think they were trying to do a good thing. Um, and I, I think we should give them a little bit more grace because uh, it's so easy just to dump on the sins of our forefathers um, and, and to kick them for being old and backwards and out of date and out of touch. Is it any wonder in such a society that, you know, some people, some heartfelt, concerned people who, who cared for their loved ones, who cared for their children, who cared for the souls of other individuals and, and looked at what was going on in our culture as a, a shift towards something that had nothing to do with the, the teachings of Jesus— is it any surprise that we came up with such guardrails when everybody seemed to have just thrown all restraint off, and not only to throw all restraint off, but to flaunt it? Like, come on. Uh, get over the self-righteousness of dumping on these people. Um, you know, they, I think they still largely meant well, and if you don't understand that they meant well and you just want to you know, project some sort of handmaid's tale narrative onto what was happening back then. I, you know, even for whatever truth may be in such a narrative, I don't think you're dealing with the reality of what was actually happening and what is still even happening. I know it's fun to take jabs at the patriarchy, but I think such an analysis um, is rather shallow and short-sighted. And if I can be frank, it was just dumb. That's not to say again that it wasn't a little bit of truth mixed into such ideas about what was going back on. I mean, especially the cringe-worthy purity ball stuff like, okay, I'll give you that. You know, Handmaid's Tale all the way, right? Um, but uh, overall, that's not what was happening in the evangelical church. And it wasn't anywhere remotely a threat of becoming anything of the sort. So I think books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye not only sought to protect, you know, the moral sexual purity of those in the church and of the youth, but ultimately to protect against a lot of the heartbreak um, that ultimately came from a, a hookup culture and serial dating. However, with all that said, the guardrails that purity culture sought to install didn't merely promise to protect you from pitfalls. It also came with promises. And the end result of purity culture and the teachings of individuals like Josh Harris ultimately became tantamount to a sort of sexual prosperity gospel. And as with any prosperity gospel... 
it failed to actually deliver you the riches that it promised if you just jumped on to its treadmill. Sure, you'll do a lot of running, but in the end, as with any prosperity gospel, you don't get anywhere with it. Eventually, the weight and the shortcomings of the teachings of the purity culture and individuals like Josh Harris kind of caught up to the entire movement, including the, the, the poster boy of, of the purity culture, Josh Harris himself. And by 2018, Josh Harris actually eventually repudiated the teachings of his once popular, best-selling book. And by 2019, Josh Harris and his wife shocked the evangelical Christian world and got a divorce. And shortly thereafter and to this day, to the best of my knowledge, Josh Harris no longer considers himself a practicing Christian. So if you're going to buy into evangelical purity culture and think it's something that we should try to revive a little bit more of today, I would tell you, buyer beware. So with all this history explored, what do we do now that purity culture is largely, although not entirely, but largely dead? Do we just embrace everything that the world has to offer in regard to love, romance, and sexuality? Do we just turn a blind eye to the sexual practices of, of people in the church and what they're doing and how that squares up with the teachings of Jesus? Or do we pursue evangelical purity culture 2.0? Do we look for something else? And if so, what? I will say, as someone who sort of bought into some of the teachings and practices of the evangelical purity culture movement, and having known others who did as well, I think I can safely say that this approach to dating and sex is ultimately, it's a broken approach. The theology of the purity culture and teaching is ultimately a broken system, and leads to just as much frustration as somebody who sends a televangelist a thousand dollars in the mail hoping to get rich and then never actually seeing that happen. <laughs> Such as simply, if I can borrow a southern idiom that maybe you guys will understand, this is just a dog that just don't hunt. Yet here we are, Christians still living in a culture where the 1960s sexual revolution has not only won the day, but given us all the crazy dating apps in the world where people hook up with each other left and right on websites and apps like Tinder. Dear Lord, oh my God. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, while there is nothing wrong with Tinder in and of itself, it is just a dating app in the sea of dating apps that are out there. As someone who has recently started trying to date again since my prior marriage ended, I can't help but exhale with a deep and painful sigh. <laughs> a sigh that I think millions of people, Christian and non-Christians alike, can probably relate to. And I think the alternative answer was always right beneath our nose in the church. But it was an answer that we ultimately rejected because we wanted the rules and the systems to follow. 
We wanted somebody to tell us what to do instead of someone that could find us out who to be. For it is always easier to throw off and follow a legalistic set of rules than it is to experience a genuine change and transformation of the heart and take up a new identity. For example, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus entered into a discussion over marriage, divorce, and human sexuality. Jesus talks with the disciples about marriage and divorce, and Jesus states that while the law of Moses permitted a man to get a divorce from his wife for any reason at all, such was only because of the hardness of men's hearts. Jesus says, but it wasn't this way in the beginning. Jesus said that divorce was never God's intent for mankind, and that God's ultimate intent could be seen in Adam and Eve, from whom God gave no teaching about certificates of divorce, unlike that of Moses. And Jesus went on to say that divorce was only acceptable in the case of adultery, and that whoever divorces his wife except for the reason of adultery and marries someone else is committing adultery and doing so. That's some pretty heavy stuff. And the disciples found this teaching to be kind of extreme from Jesus. <laughs> they didn't like it any more than people do today when you bring up Matthew chapter 19. Uh, indeed, we, we find this extreme in the church today. And many in the church, including the evangelical church, gladly ignore the implications and teachings of Matthew 19 regarding marriage, divorce, and adultery, and second marriages. And our views and practices regarding divorce at the end of the day in evangelical circles have ultimately become largely reflective of that of our culture, which finds it acceptable to get a divorce for any reason whatsoever. But Jesus' teachings on marriage and divorce, you know, they are hard to accept, and Jesus even acknowledged as much. Who can uphold such a ridiculously high standard for marriage and divorce? The disciples didn't like the teaching. We don't either. And knowing such was such a tough pill to swallow, Jesus would further on elaborate in Matthew 19, verses 11 through 12, in which he said, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's wombs, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who were made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And in case you're not familiar with what a eunuch is, because it's not exactly a word we use every day, a eunuch is someone who, through either birth defect or surgical procedure, has been castrated. Eunuchs had a special social function in antiquity. Since they were not seen as a sexual threat, but were men just the same, eunuchs were enlisted by kings as trustworthy guards to safeguard their harem of women. If you hired a eunuch and put a eunuch in charge of the king's harem, you didn't have to worry about anybody fooling around with the king's harem except the king. 
So he knew he could safeguard his bride's sexual purity by putting eunuchs in charge of his women and to keep them away from other men and not be a threat at the same time. There is nobody a king could trust more than a eunuch because there is no sexual risk associated with a eunuch. In the Gospels, a eunuch is held up here in the teachings of Jesus ultimately as a paradigm and archetype of sexual identity and morality for those who consider themselves followers of Christ. Jesus calls upon all his followers to become spiritual eunuchs in regard to the sexuality for the sake of serving the kingdom of God. And if you are ever going to embrace the sexual ethics of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles and what they prescribe for marriage and divorce, you will only be able to do so because you have chosen to embrace the spirit of a eunuch. For the sake of serving Christ in his kingdom, you are ultimately deciding to make a clean cut with who you used to be and to taking up a completely new way of being and a new identity. Your identity is now that of a eunuch who has been pressed into the service of his king, and you are no longer to be driven by your random whims and impulses that would cause you to divorce your spouse or engage in whatever sexual impulses your inner freak flag causes you to want to fly. Instead, you are a eunuch who lives to be a trusted servant of his king. This, of course, this teaching about being a eunuch in Matthew 19 is definitely a threat to everything regarding our understanding of sex in our culture, especially in an age in which our sexuality has become a core part of our identity. Are you straight, gay, or something in between? Are you a virgin? Are you married? Are you divorced? Are you polyamorous? Are you a throuple? <laughs> are you in an open, non-monogamous, open relationship? Or are you just enjoying random hookups on Twitter? Are you committed in a long-term relationship? Are you just looking for a casual fun? Well, you know, at the end of the day, whatever you are and whatever you think you're looking for and whatever you're looking to do, Jesus says we need to cut something in us off that's a very real part of who we think we are and our identity. Instead of being all these other things and engaging in all these other practices, Jesus taught a very hard thing. We must become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this transcends everything. And it goes beyond simple or complex rules and regulations regarding romantic relationships like we see that taught by the likes of Josh Harris and evangelical purity culture. Being a eunuch for the sake of Christ goes beyond anything purity a culture ever attempted to offer us. For being a eunuch is a state of being. And while I certainly wouldn't scoff at the idea of anyone setting up practical boundaries for themselves in regard to sexuality and relationships, Something more is ultimately needed. For no amount of rules, rituals, or legalisms will ever make you spiritual. 
The Apostle Paul repeatedly beat this drum over and over again, loud and clear. No amount of rules that tell you to not press the red button will ever keep you from pressing the red button. If anything, the rule that says, <laughs> that we all know very, very well, the rule says that, hey, don't touch that. Don't press that red button. Ultimately, sounds like a ringing invitation into the, the ears of every five-year-old to press the red button. And guess what? That mentality doesn't change the older that you get. What we need is instead of more rules that tell us not to press the red button, what we need is ultimately an inward transformation of our hearts and minds that strike at the very core of who we are as people. Of course, such creates a difficulty. For it's always easier to expound on rules and regulations and tell people what they're supposed to do or not do than to tell the people the type of person they are ultimately supposed to come. For it's ultimately easier to change the rules of the game than it is to change the player playing that game. And if we are to become the type of people that follow the Lord in regard to us sexuality, the last thing we need is another giant guardrail that goes beyond the teachings that the scriptures already prescribe. That sort of game was the type of game the Pharisees regular played, and Jesus saw it as something that did nothing but crush true and authentic spirituality. What we need is a fundamental transformation of the heart and mind that strikes at the very core of who we are as people. And such is only possible if you can receive into the very depths of your being the teachings of Jesus on the issue and become as a eunuch. And you seek to become a eunuch, not so that you can safeguard your sexual purity for you and your future spouse and have this Disney-like storybook romance, this sort of sexual prosperity gospel. Rather, you are to become a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And your sexuality is not to be seen so much as a gift for your spouse. Rather, your sexuality is a gift and offering that you make to Jesus Christ. For at the end of the day, you're becoming a eunuch not for the sake of your future spouse. You're to become a eunuch for Christ's sake and his sake alone. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, episode 150 of the jimmystable.com podcast, Beyond Evangelical Purity Culture. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I've given you something to think about. If I've sparked something that you want to talk about and you, you want to have a conversation, feel free to email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com, or you can go to jimmystable.com and find links to the, the uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts where this will also be posted. Um, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at jimmystable.com slash subscribe, where you can find your favorite method of subscription. And if you've also enjoyed this show, give it your pure five-star review over at places like Apple 
and Spotify. So other people who don't know anything about the show can sit there and think, hey, maybe this is a show I can take some time to sit down and listen to and see what Jimmy has to say at Jimmy's Table. Com. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.